Galatians 5, 22 through 23, this is our scripture for today. Hear now the word of the living God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks a lot, Andrew. One of us does have to preach after that. Y'all, between shepherd's baptism, and I don't know if you knew this, uh, and Can It Be, I think, is one of Andrew's favorite hymns of all time, and Love Divine, All Loves Excelling is my favorite hymn of all time. So I don't know who designed this service, but this feels conspiratorial. I'm really grateful for our musicians here and all the gifts that they offer to God in worship. And that's always been one way that I um, connect deeply with things. Um, my younger brother uses the word tender. I get tender around music. Um, the other day I was listening, I was re-listening to the soundtrack to Hamilton, the musical. Has anyone here ever seen the show or heard the soundtrack? Oh, it's a wonderful story. And it follows... Alexander Hamilton, he's on the $10 bill, he's one of the founding fathers, and it's, it follows his life, and I'm sure it t- takes some artistic liberties throughout the story, but intertwined with his life is the life of this man named Aaron Burr. And what's interesting is they're friends who respect each other deeply, but they also have this rivalry, and they go back and forth throughout their life, uh, both respecting the other person and both having this, this similar love for this budding nation called the United States of America that they both believe is going to be so wonderful and provide so many freedoms for so many people, but they disagree so strongly on what that means and how to get there. What you might not have known is the founder of our Methodist movement, John Wesley, had a similar friendship and rivalry around the same time with a man named George Whitfield. John Wesley and George Whitfield began their ministry together over in England across the pond. They were at Oxford College, and they were both part of something called the Holy Club. And it was this idea that people could come together, and as the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. These were folks who were looking to sharpen one another in their faith and really live out what it means to be Christians. And it ended up that they clicked really well, and they complemented each other, because We all love John Wesley, but he was kind of eh as a preacher. He was okay. But he was really good at teaching and organizing, and he was passionate about it. And on the other hand, George Whitfield could preach on a street corner and stop people in their tracks. He was just throwing out Christ's invitations, and people would come and follow, and then he would turn them over to John Wesley for him to lead them and nurture their faith from there. And it was a beautiful relationship they had, but... Then George Whitfield and John Wesley started to disagree about some key things about God. And the biggest disagreement came over the idea of predestination or free will. George Whitfield would say about God, well, God is sovereign, 
God is over everything, knows everything, knows what you will do before you do it. And so God must choose beforehand who goes to heaven and who doesn't. And John Wesley would vehemently disagree and say, how could you possibly say that our God, the perfect God, God of love, doesn't let people choose and God chooses for them? And George Whitfield would accuse John of believing people could work or earn their way to salvation. And John would accuse George of not seeing God as a God who loved us enough to let us choose. And eventually it got so fierce, this disagreement between them, that with tears in their eyes, they parted ways and could do ministry together no more. So often we seem to reach that unfortunate place of parting ways. It seems like that's just how the world is wired. There are times when it seems impossible to proceed together. It seems to be part. It's built into the human condition. We make a box with our beliefs, our rules, and we deem others as outside and incorrect. It turns out this human problem is nothing new. As a matter of fact, about 2,000 years ago, this is exactly what was happening in the church in Galatia. Our scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, but before we can even look at that scripture, we need to remember why Paul was writing that letter and what it was about. And here's why Paul was writing the letter. There were two sets of Christians in Galatia who had their own set of rules and disagreed about which one was right. There were the Jewish Christians, people that were Jewish and then found Christ and converted but they still followed the Jewish law. And then there were Gentile Christians, these non-Jewish people. And the tension was all about what relationship should these Gentile, these non-Jewish Christians have with the law, the law found in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Which rules should apply to all Christians and which ones should only apply to some? Now, every Christian there in Galatia wanted to be faithful and obedient to Jesus Christ. In that, they were united. But... Things were left unclear about what that meant. And so the human problem reared its ugly head again. What categories and rules are correct? How do we decide who is in and who is out? And this was a matter that was hotly debated and came up all the time. And if you use your imagination, you can see why. I mean, every church potluck, somebody would bring their barbecue pulled pork sandwich or their seafood gumbo. And then it would spark this whole debate about why did you bring this non-kosher food to a Christian dinner? And the debate would start again. And one side would say, we receive salvation through Jesus Christ. We don't know all the rules and we don't need to. And the other side would say, well, Jesus was Jewish. Newsflash, Jesus obeyed the law. <laughs> Even Peter, who was the head of the early church, it's funny because he tiptoes around this subject every time he's in Galatia. Even though he had this vision, you remember a few weeks ago, Andrew talked about this vision Peter had of God deeming non-kosher foods to be clean. Peter would still, in Galatia, eat kosher around some people and eat non-kosher around some people because he just didn't want to rock the boat too much. But for five chapters, Paul writes this letter to remind the people of Galatia of the source of their salvation. He points out that it was through Abraham's faith in that Hebrew Bible that God blessed him and his future generations. And he reminds them that the law isn't what gave them the Holy Spirit. Their belief in Jesus Christ did. And he gets to the end of the fifth chapter and he emphasizes that Christianity isn't about rules. It's about the Holy Spirit. And you will know the Holy Spirit by its fruit. And so we've arrived at our scripture reading for today. It's very short, 
in your bulletin. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, this is the second Sunday that we've been taking a look at the character of a Methodist. And Andrew preached last week on this, and he reminded us of some important things. So John Wesley, remember, he's the founder of the Methodist movement. He wrote this pamphlet, this brochure called The Character of a Methodist. Because people have been making these wild claims about what Methodists are and Methodists aren't, and so he wanted to clarify. And he wrote 18 different points of what distinguished Methodists from other people, and we won't go through all 18, but there were things like a Methodist has received God's love through the Holy Spirit. A Methodist is thankful to God, trusts God, prays fervently. A Methodist loves their neighbors, the ones they like and the ones they don't. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. A Methodist uses language that everyone can understand. Not insider or puffed up language like soteriology or consubstantial or hermeneutics. And if you don't know what any of those three words mean, great, we're being good Methodists. But there's one point in this brochure that John Wesley wrote that I want to call your attention to, and it's going to be our focus today. And it's the very first point in the brochure. And it says this, and I quote, the distinguishing marks of a Methodist are not his opinions of any sort. His assenting to this or that scheme of religion, his embracing any particular set of notions, his espousing the judgment of one man or another are all quite wide of the point. As to all opinions which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think. In other words, a Methodist holds firm to the central tenets, the roots of Christianity. But beyond that, we look to the fruit a lot more than we look to rules or categories of who is in or who is out. In John Wesley's vision of Methodism, he didn't want people to be known as those who followed certain rules or held the best doctrines and knew all the right answers about God to look good in front of other people. He wants Methodists to believe in the core tenets of Christianity and beyond that, be distinguished as people who bear fruit. This goes right alongside Paul's message for the church in Galatia. He says that it's easier to argue about rules and doctrines than it is to take up your cross and follow Christ. But this is how he ends the letter in chapter 6, and I really like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. And he'll have to show, for all his life, just weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real, eternal life. I want us to think back to John Wesley and George Whitfield and their friendship rivalry that they had. Remember, Wesley hated predestination, couldn't imagine ever agreeing with it, and eventually it had driven a wedge between he and George Whitfield to the point that they could not continue together in ministry. But for decades, they respected each other so much that they kept in touch through letters and through mutual friends. And towards the end of their lives, it seems that they cared less and less about the doctrines they disagreed on, and more and more, of what the Spirit had been doing 
in their lives, the fruit of that spirit in their ministry. There's a famous story where George Whitfield, later in his life, he was teaching a class on predestination, and one of his students knew that John Wesley was a famous person who disagreed with it. And the student raised his hand and said, Professor Whitfield, will we see John Wesley in heaven? And George Whitfield responded by saying, No, I fear not. But then he paused before finishing. John Wesley will be so near to the throne, and we will be at such a distance that we will hardly get a sight of him. George Whitfield respected John Wesley so much that he asked him to preach at his funeral. And Wesley said this there. He said, May the rising generation catch even a spark of the flame which shone so brightly in the spirit and practice of this faithful servant of the Most High God. So yes, we have our doctrines, our opinions, and our personal beliefs about God, and these are important to think about and to discuss, but as Paul reminds the people of Galatia and reminds us, these opinions, these rules, they don't bring our salvation. They didn't give us the Holy Spirit, and they don't lead to the life eternal. How much more important is our fruit What if when people talked about the congregation at Noonan First United Methodist Church, the first thing they said wasn't, well, they believe X, Y, and Z about God. What if they said those are people of love? Those are joyful people, peaceful people, patient and kind people. They are generous, faithful, gentle. They have self-control. Those are people bearing the Spirit's fruit in the world. Instead of being known by our opinions and our stances, the most Methodist thing that we can be is a spirit-filled people who seek to be known by our fruit. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the many gifts that you have provided this congregation and the spirit that is in this place, so evident in our music in the next generation, in the faithful servants who have for so long already run the race. Lord, we ask that you continue to lead us with your spirit, allow us to bear fruit and distinguish ourselves from the world and spread the good news of your kingdom. Amen.